St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his, de his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of the light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. have it on Randy it's me uh, Sundays like this that you've got to uh, love a lectionary <laughs> if you didn't know your pastors don't pick out the text we have a series of readings over a three-year period that are pointed for each and we probably wouldn't pick out this scripture if it was up to us I mean this is a tough one in fact some commentaries say that this is the hardest passage of Jesus to deal with in all the New Testament. Wow. Now for me as one preacher, that just gets me excited. <laughs> I mean, let's take a shot at this. Let's have some fun with this. Don't you think Jesus is like, hmm, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with this. <laughs> and at first glance, it does seem difficult, isn't it? One commentator said it this way. This passage brings before us a new Jesus, one who seems inclined to compromise with evil. He approves a program of canny self-interest, recommending to his disciples a standard of life which is generally recognized as inferior. I say to you, gain friends by means of money. This is not the worst of it. He bases the teaching on the story of a shrewd scoundrel who feathered his own nest at the expense of a man who he had trusted him, who had trusted him, and then appears to say to his disciples, let this be your model. 
Hmm. I think we better take a closer look at this one. What is going on here? We certainly need some help with this. How is it that being shrewd might be a good thing? How can we redeem these words of Jesus? We know our Lord. We know he played, you know, he knew how to get right at us and get us going, and boy, he's got me interested at this point anyway. I hope you too. What are the details of this parable? Maybe if we delve into some of those cult, the cultural background, we can kind of redeem this parable. Maybe it's more than what this one commentator said. It's not just Jesus commending some pretty marginal behavior. Maybe there's more to it than that. All right, so I'm going to give you some ways to think about this, and let's try one, and we'll call the first one, you got to do what you got to do. Don't we say that today? Well, you got to do what you got to do. It's just what we say. What, is it, what does that mean? I don't know. But maybe what it means in this context is that we live in a world um, with money and with tough decisions and in a world sometimes we're caught between two wrongs, not just between right and wrong, but which is the lesser two wrongs. And we've got we to be shrewd. We've got to think about what we do. Jesus says in another place, you've got to be gentle as doves and yet wise as serpents. So you gotta have some earthly smarts. You gotta have some money smarts. You gotta, you gotta know how this world works because we live in it. Doesn't he say that, the sons of light? That's a term that actually comes, we see that in the Dead Sea Scrolls of the Jewish community there. The, the religious folks, the people of the community were called the sons of light. So the church, the God's people, have to be shrewd that sometimes the world is more smart about how to work in the world than what the church is. And maybe we do need to be more earthly-minded and more, have some more, um, what do you call that, uh, smarts where, where you, you know how things work in the world. You got to do what you got to do. Maybe, yeah, we got to be wise with what we do with our money and, and how we work things out. Um, we got to take some financial classes from Dave Ramsey or some, you know, we got to learn to budget. We got to learn how to be a little more crafty um, in, in how we work with earthly mammon because if we are not faithful with that, Jesus says, we won't be given the real spiritual true riches. Maybe what Jesus is saying is here is that you can't serve two masters and yet you got to know how to live in this world, but you've got to serve you know, you got to serve God above everything else. And maybe, maybe you got to put people before prophets. Certainly this dishonest manager took care of the people who owed the, the, the rich man a lot of money. Maybe he helped the rich man too, but maybe that gets us to the next, the next idea. But do you th are you good with that? No. This is not a dialogical sermon. No, just kidding. No, you're right. I can't quite sit down yet. I don't think so. It was a good try. And there's some good to that. There's some pluses to that way of looking at it. We do have to be gentle as doves and wise as serpents. We do have to be a little shrewd in how we work in the world and know how things work. But yeah, I can't sit down yet. I wouldn't feel good about that. Even if there's a Seahawks game on, I wouldn't feel good about that. <laughs> So how about a second one? I'm going to call this second one hidden benevolence. Hidden benevolence. And the key to this way of looking at it is, okay, you've got the rich man 
who's most likely a landowner, and um, you've got the people who owe the rich man money, that's probably the tenants, they're renting out land and they're paying with olive oil and, and with crops and whatnot, and, and you've got the manager in between. And this manager has messed up, but the manager says, you know, I know how to solve this problem. I, I'm gonna give these people what's owed to me. And so the assumption here is that the man, part of the bill was interest that, or commission that the manager would typically get. So when the manager says, cut your bill by this much, the manager was cutting out his profits, not the owner. Ooh, now I like that, isn't it? That makes him less um, diabolical, right? And makes him more compassionate. That he's gonna put people truly over profits. He's gonna take care of the people who owe a lot of money. And in doing so, yeah, he's gonna make sure he's got a spot to be after he loses his job. Um, but he's also gonna, he's not taking anything from the master because this was all, after all, he's just giving them his cut in the whole process. Now that makes it a little more palatable, doesn't it? And I like this because it makes the steward, the, the manager, uh, more compassionate, that he's not just thinking about himself, that he's, yeah, he's thinking about himself, but he's also, he, every, it's a win-win-win. The landowner wins, the rich man wins, the people who owed a lot of money win, he wins because they're going to take care of him when he's done. Boy, everybody wins in this process. And Jesus commends this one for his shrewdness. The, so I like that. I mean, I think people are more important than profits. I think relationships are the key to life, and we need to tend to those relationships. So I, I like this. Can I sit down? You know, I see some people shaking their head no. That's really good for a preacher when people aren't finished yet. That's really good. So. Um, so yes, you know, you're right, because after all, Jesus still doesn't say that this was a good guy. He says, this is a dishonest manager. He commends the dishonest manager. He didn't say he was actually a better guy than what you thought. Ah, nuts. Well, let's try another. And we'll call this banking on benevolence. Banking on benevolence. What am I saying here? Well, the key on this way of looking at it comes down to what is the meaning of the word shrewd, since that's what's commended, right? Je Jesus says, you know, this, that's the good thing. This person was shrewd. Now, interestingly, the Greek word here, translated shrewd, never is translated shrewd in any other place in the New Testament. So the Greek word occurs all over the place, but it's only here that it's translated as shrewd. Hmm. Now, the root word here, and the way it's usually translated, it usually has the meaning of wisdom, insight, knowledge, understanding. This is really what the word is about. Now, the only thing to caution you on is that I looked at just about every English translation I could find, and they all use the word shrewd. <laughs> so they know better than me. That's probably the best translation of it here, but at least know that really that this, this kind of shrewdness is all about this guy understood something, okay? That's the key to the banking on benevolence explanation, which I'm gonna explain now, is that what is really being 
commended here is that this manager understood something. What did he understand? Okay, let's, to get at that, let's look at the details. Okay, he squandered the master's, the, the rich man's stuff. That's interesting because in the parable of the prodigal son, you know what the prodigal son did? Squandered the, his, the dad's possessions that he had been given. So it's the same exact term. So he squanders it just like the prodigal son did. So he wasn't being a good manager. He was not. And then the manager comes to him and says, now look, 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 look. I want to see the books. You can no longer be my manager. Is he fired yet? It's ambiguous, isn't it? He doesn't say you're fired. Give me the books. He says, you can no longer be my manager. He isn't fired quite yet. And why I know this to be true, because he goes to the, the debtors and he says, take your bill and write less, take your bill and write less. If those people knew that he wasn't really the manager anymore, they could never accept that offer because they would be in cahoots with the crime. If, if they knew that he, still, he didn't have his job as manager anymore, they would never be able to accept that. It'd be a horribly shameful thing and they would be committing theft in essence. But if they don't know that the manager is fired. So no, the manager isn't fired yet. Can you get an idea of this rich man? Is he foolish or what? Why would you say you're gonna lose your job but I'm gonna give you some time? Good luck. Hmm. Mm, test, maybe, maybe, maybe Je Jesus is commending the manager because the manager knows something about the, the rich man, about the master, about the one who owns the land. And so he goes and he says, hmm, I'm going to lose my job. I've done a horrible job. I'm guilty. And notice, he, does he defend himself? Oh, but, 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 no defending himself here. He's, he's guilty, he knows it. He knows his only social welfare, his only, you know, his safety net is to make sure that other people like him. So they won't let him rot away and beg. And so he says, he comes up with this really cool plan. I'm gonna reduce. There is, by the way, no evidence that this manager, that that part that he reduces is actually his take in the amount. <laughs> There's, there's no evidence of that. It's, I like the idea, but it's, it's not there. He, he cuts, the, the owner is losing money here, a lot. But he cuts the bill and he does this. What is the manager banking on? So what happens as soon as he cuts this bill? What do those debtors think of the rich man, of the owner? They think, wow, he is so wonderful because they assume that the manager's doing this on behalf of the owner. Are you getting this? Okay, he does that. So they say, oh, he's so great. He's given us a Christmas bonus. And it's just so wonderful. And boy, we sure love the manager, the foreman too. He's great too. And man, oh man, and he is so wonderful. You start to just praise him in the town village about how wonderful he is. He cut our debts in half. It's so cool. He's so wonderful. Now, what's the owner going to do? The manager is banking on the goodness and graciousness of the owner. Because the owner could easily go to those people and say, I had fired that guy. You still owe me the money. Then what would they think of the owner? <laughs> they gave us a bonus and they took it away. But the manager knows. And, and then the manager could just be thrown in jail. 
But the manager comes up with this scheme because he knows one thing. As Kenneth Bailey, he puts it this way, a great New Testament scholar, he says, the steward knew the master was generous and merciful. He risked everything on this aspect of the master's nature. He won because the master was indeed generous and merciful. He chose to pay the full price, the master did, for his steward's salvation. That is interesting, that that's what Jesus is commending, that this steward, this unjust steward, knew the gig was up, but he knew that he had a merciful master. Boy, now, doesn't that help us? I mean, what is a life lived like when you know that you have a merciful and gracious God who you're accountable to versus a God who is also, yes, just, but not merciful. A just God without mercy is a God that's going to go, Bill Crabtree, when I mess up. And so I'm going to walk my whole life going, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make a mistake. I can't, I can't, oh, I messed up. And you're panicked and you're freaked out and you live in fear your whole life. If you don't have a good and gracious God, how, you know what, you can't make mistakes if you have, don't have a good and gracious God. You better do nothing. Just stay in bed all day. But if you have a good and gracious God, then you can get out there and you can love and you can serve and you can make mistakes and you can mess up, but you can do it wanting to love other people and you can get out there and take some risk and you can go for it. You can have an adventurous life if you have a good and gracious God. So I love this interpretation. Can I sit down now? Well, less of you were shaking your heads on that one. That's good. But maybe there's one more way. And it comes to us through the second reading. Did you catch what Timothy, what we hear there in Timothy? That Jesus Christ is the one mediator. God desires all people to be, come to the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus, and he is the one mediator. He's the mediator. What if we get a little creative with this parable? I mean, Jesus has got to just be up there just going, wow, that's interesting. I never thought about going that way with this story. But, you know, but, you know maybe we can be a little creative. Because it's hard for me not to see Jesus in this parable in a different place than what you'd expect. Maybe he's kind of a little bit just a little bit, be creative, don't squeeze it too hard. Maybe he's a little bit like that manager. I mean, when he says, take your bill and cut it in half. That sounds a little bit like Jesus. Write it for less. That he's the manager, he stands in the breach between us and the one we owe everything to. That he's the bridge. I know we got a lot of engineers out here. Everywhere you go around here is an engineer. <laughs> what if you were an engineer and you were presented a problem? I love engineers because they know how to solve problems and they figure it out and they do all the math and they do all that. But what if you, you were an engineer and you were given, okay, you're here and you've got to get to this other place and you could not figure out a way to bridge the gap? What if? That's truly the human condition. And so Jesus is the one who stands in the middle, takes care of our debt completely, builds the bridge for us, forgives the debt, and connects us to God. 
Maybe with that kind of gracious God and with a mediator like that, we can not live in fear and not let our money and mammon be our master, but let Jesus be our master. Let our money and mammon be a tool that we use to serve Christ versus us serving that tool. Maybe that's what we can do. I don't know. I don't know what you think. Keep playing with it. Amen.